and we're going to read scripture, and it's from Judges chapter 6 and 7, so mm -hmm. Kathy is going to read and uh, begin with verse 1 in chapter 6, and we're going to kind of meander through and we'll tell you where, we're, where we are uh, as we go, and Brian will begin in chapter 7. So we're kind of covering two chapters there in the life of, of Gideon. So as Tim says, this is from Judges chapter 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. <clears throat> they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So then Gideon goes and he prepares a goat. You can imagine in a land where they have little, they have barely any uh, vegetation at all because it's being eaten up by the Midianites. And he takes one of his most valued possessions and sacrifices it. But when he brings it to the Lord, the Lord says, pour it out. Pour it out. And he touches, and, and the angel touches his rod to the meal. 
and it poofs up in smoke. Just kind of a huge miracle right in front of, uh, of what Gideon has brought. The, the sacrifice that Gideon has brought uh, is then consumed. And he builds an altar and calls it, The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. And then he gets instructions of go take the second bull of your father and tear down the Asherah pole, which is a, a Baal uh, worshiping tool. And he does it, but he does it at night because he's fearful that he'll get caught doing something against their worshiping, against their religious practices. And Gideon did it, even though, even in the midst of his fear, he did it. And the spirit of God came upon Gideon and he made a call to arms to the people and gathered many, many thousands to go to battle. He again tested, tested, the God, tested God. He said, if, are you sure, God? Because you remember this, even perhaps from Sunday school, where he took a, a sheepskin and said, Lord, if this is, um, this is you, then make the sheepskin damp in the morning and the land dry. And God did that. And he said, now don't get mad and do it one more time, only this time make the ground wet and the sheepskin dry. And God did those things to encourage and to strengthen Gideon. Brian is going to read. So we're going to skip ahead to the seventh chapter. Verse 1, early in the morning, Jerub Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, and here's kind of the punchline for his strength and our own resources. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, into their, your hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So then in the process, God does another. He separates the men. And he separates them of the 10,000 that are left. He separates them 9,700 in this group and 300 in this group. And God says, if you uh, are concerned about what's about to happen, just go down and listen to the stories around the campfires. And Gideon does that. He sneaks down with his friend, and they're hanging out at the campfire, and they hear the story of a, of a warrior telling them about um, a dream that he's had. And the dream is of a barley cake or a barley loaf of bread that tumbles down into a Midian uh, tent and crushes it. And the other one around the campfire says, that must be Gideon, whose army is about to smash Midian. So then, with that encouragement, Gideon returns um, to his camp to prepare them for what God is going to do next. So Hans Eric talked about how um, visiting the Holy Land brought the scriptures to light for him. 
as I read this, I want you to kind of visualize how Hollywood might have, you know, taken these words and turned them into a movie, just to help you kind of get the reality of it. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped a god. He returned to the camp of Israel and called, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch of the night. After they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So Gideon was one who didn't want to be where he was. He didn't want to be a lowly, hiding Jew. Nor did he want to be a mighty warrior when he set out. Can you imagine it? And this is not part of our culture, but to have a wine press, the likelihood of it is that it's down low in the ground. Easier to squish grapes. Easier to do the kind of things that you need to do. But he's, instead of harvesting grapes and, and mashing them, he is trying to separate wheat from chaff. Now, perhaps you've never done that by hand, but somehow you've got to smash the kernel and separate them. But the good news is you take it and you throw it up in the air and the wind blows the chaff away, right? That's kind of how it works in a non-agrarian uh, perspective. From me to you, I've never done it. Most of you have never done it, right? So here he is in a covered hole in the ground, hiding because the Midianites, whenever they see any activity at all, they send out the scouts to put a squash to it because literally they've stolen everything from the Jews. Where are the Jews hiding? In caves, in the mountains, looking for a place to hide. And so I can't even imagine what kind of wind you get in a wine press, except that you're throwing it in the air and going, trying to blow the chaff to another part that's basically landing on you. So it's a pretty dirty, kind of ugly kind of setting, but then that was the nature of what was going on for these seven years. It was kind of a dirty and ugly existence for the Jews. So you can imagine why Gideon didn't want to be uh, the least in his family, in the least of his tribe, nor in a wine press, trying to get a little grain, perhaps, to give his family bread 
but that wasn't his favorite place to be. But God, God did give him something. God gave him a form and he filled that form. You, we've talked about that from the image of, uh, from Genesis, the story in Genesis of God creating forms and then filling those forms. And in fact, you and I have been created that way. That God gave us a form and then he filled it with good things. But, but Gideon was really, uh, under these circumstances, not able to recognize Though God could recognize them in Gideon, Gideon himself was not able to recognize at this point what God, all the good things that God had put into him. I'm guessing that perhaps Gideon had administration, perhaps prophecy, maybe leadership of some kind, but certainly loyalty. We saw that uh, in the story. And Gideon's conquest for the day was bread. Could we just get a little bit of grain so that we could survive one more day? That was his conquest at that point. And God gave him something else. God's provision, God's plan was long-term uh, provision, not just the immediacy of the day. And see how that worked out? Worked out quite different than we might have expected. And God, in, in some of these stories, and the stories that God tells about himself and his people, it doesn't always line up with what our expectations are. But God has a plan in the midst of these things as well. In the midst of the Jews crying out to God, finally coming back to God, God has something. And being God's people is being aligned with his direction. Sometimes it's a bit more adventuresome than we like. And it's always moving, sent, and secured by the one who made us. So it's aligned with him. It's adventuresome in many ways. And it's also, um, I'll use the term apostolic, that being sent, being a, a special kind of gifting that God does in people like Paul and Peter, and he does it today. Um, in Ephesians 4, that shows up. And it's not always a normal pathway. It's not yesterday, and it's not necessarily tradition, although tradition has its lines and its threads that pull into that, but it's a God pathway. And his, he typically has new forms that happen. New things happen continually. But it does line up with God and his character and his hope and his love. It doesn't always line up in the pews. Israel was trying to realign with God by crying out to him. Using its tradition, it was going back to the way things were when they weren't worshiping Baal of the Amorites. But God's imprint was still in them, and they returned to that in an attempt to realign themselves. 
God's imprint in Foothill showed up this summer. Showed up in the interns. It was part of life. It was part of our past and became part of our present. But, and it used vision to look and see and recognize. Remember, uh, Gideon didn't recognize his own gifts. Here, Foothill recognized themselves and took a step into that. It took intention. It took um, the direction and the vision to be able to do that. And it also took the means, the resources and the finances to make that happen. And Foothill, in their decision-making process, did that. And it brought them to a place of looking at something and saying, well, where are we now? Where has this gotten us to? What are we going to do now? What a perfect place to be. That's exactly what the Jews were saying. Where are we now? It's a perfect place, a perfect posture to recognize where God is and to allow God to begin to work in realigning us uh, with him. Eddie Gibbs makes a really good point in a church in a book called Church Next. The church is facing the challenge to re-enter a world that has changed drastically. Re-enter it. It cannot hope to regain its previous central position. The church will need to re-enter as a missionary presence with an apostolic stance living adventurously as a subversive movement, realizing afresh its total reliance on God. It reminds me of Gideon. The story of Gideon, of them coming back to a place where they need to rely on God again. They cried out to him for help. Interestingly, um, in the activity on Wednesday nights here, the interns never once invited all of our guests to come into this room. That wasn't the important thing. It wasn't as if this is where God lives because I recognized, I think, that God resides in us. And so as we were on the patio and on the lawns interacting with people in the community, that was the place where the interaction with God happened in, the lot in our lives because of the residency and activity of God within us. Being a mighty warrior is God's idea, God's definition, and God's outcome. God's idea of choosing somebody in a wine press that is threshing, that's not how you think maybe he chose you. But it's God's idea to choose and then appoint. And he appointed Gideon, the wine press thresher, as a stealth military leader. Except that by military I mean, God has his definition of military. 
And you realize that having heard the story, there were no swords in this military conquest. What, what were the resources that God used and that Gideon and his 300 had? It had a torch and that it had a clay pot and they had a horn. Those were the tools that were given for stealth military leadership. And they were far enough to do the job. Because the outcome that God planned in this particular case, by using an A-team and a dose of healthy confusion and Midian's hand against themselves. And with that, the Midianites were defeated. It also happened that 9,700 people were sleeping in their tents and they were aroused and said, go chase those guys after the route was complete. But Gideon didn't make this happen alone. It wasn't by his strength and by his leadership that this happened. He was, he was the one that was wanting not to have this responsibility. Nor did Joshua fit the battle of Jericho alone. Nor did the others that God chose, did they do it alone. These were God's ideas, his definitions, and his outcomes. You know, as we were debriefing the internship a little bit this week, one of the interns, um, I don't remember who, asked me, and they said, did you know what was going to happen this summer? I said, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. What I did know was that when you take people um, that, whose vision and means are intent on Christ, the outcome typically looks like God. So when you take the vision, the ideas that we see before us and we recognize and we take the resources that we have and we focus them on Christ and we go that direction, the outcome looks like God. I did say to them, I expected a God outcome. I expected something to happen like happened, but I didn't know what. That's the adventuresomeness that happens when you align with God and you expect him to show up in his way, putting those pieces together, you get an adventuresome outcome. Now, I have to admit that that happens to be something I really like. I like going into things that I don't know what the outcome is. But if you tell me that two plus two is four, I'm not interested. But if you tell me that this adds up to something and we have no idea what it's going to be, because the Spirit of God is going to be present. Count me in. Because I want to be part of that outcome that God's doing. And I expected our interns to have that same attitude. And I kind of expect that. In fact, I think God expects that from us. That while it might, might not be normal in our life, it does become the norm with God's activity. What are we going to do now? 
we've had a successful connection with people in our community on Wednesday nights. We made up games for kids. Families showed up. We have connections. I didn't know it was going to happen that way. We didn't know it was going to happen that way. But now that we're there, what are we going to do about it? Now that Gideon is where he is, what is he going to do about the need that they have? Except that go from being a winepress thresher to being a stealth military leader. So Foothill, what an opportunity to stand at the precipice of being in relationship. Did God give us too many people that we can't deal with them? I suggest not. It's not overwhelmingly disproportionate with who you are. Not at all. So Israel was in a dilemma. And Foothill, I suggest you are too. A nice dilemma to be in. That you become dependent and reliant in a way that Gideon did that and made that progress um, as a leader. Each step makes progress. How many more steps is required? Gideon had no idea how many steps were required. I have no idea what kind of steps will be required. And I do know that we have a choice to continue in relationship with people that God has begun a relationship with us. The surprise for Gideon was that 22,000 were dismissed because of fear. The surprise for Gideon was 9,700 were left behind. We don't need you for this part of the military campaigns because we have torches and clay pots and trumpets. That was enough. Our surprises are not over. Our adventure, I suggest, is just beginning. Tom's Lee was was, um, concerned. Tom's, we put him on an airplane to fly to Portland yesterday. And through the week, you know, realizing that the internship was ending and Tom's way of, of, uh, you know, thinking about things, I said, Tom's, what do they call it when you graduate? When you graduate from high school, when you graduate from college, they don't call it ending. What do they call it? Commencement. They call it beginning. While the intern program ended, it was just a beginning of what God is doing in three young adults' lives. And while we have, uh, sit challenged with what does God want us to do right now, it's a beginning. It's not just a hanging on and waiting for a new some, something to happen. God has already begun uh, something new. And that's why in, in Acts 13, when God chose Paul and Barnabas and set them apart in the church in Antioch, Remember, they prayed together, people from all over the world. The elders got together and said, it's good to the Spirit and to us that Paul and Barnabas go off 
on a missionary journey, that we sent them off, that they were chosen and sent apart. And the moving part is it's always moving. The spirit is not still. It may be safe, but it's not still. The adventure doesn't mean we know what's going to happen, nor did an apostle know what was going to happen as they stepped out and walked into it. So in some ways, he's calling us with something to do. We can do nothing. We can choose to do nothing. But we can choose to interact and get back in the people's lives that are saying, I can't believe Wednesday nights are ending. It's not all about Wednesday nights. It's not all about any particular night. It's not about a place. But relationships started. And they started right out on the patio and on the lawn. Mothers played soccer with their children for the first time ever in their lives. How does God use that? Parents and children did first things that they've ever done in their lifetime. Now the second thing is for us. Gideon didn't want to be a wine press thresher nor a mighty warrior. He didn't recognize his own gifts, the things that God, all the good things that God had filled him with. He didn't yet know those things. His self-esteem, his self-image was basically smashed. He had none, as were the whole nation. But God knew the situation, and he knew the players, and he heard their cry. He was patient through the tests uh, and mentored Gideon through the challenges. Gave him whatever he needed to accomplish what he needed to do. God took Gideon's loyalty and leveraged it for good. Were we surprised at what what the outcomes of the intern program were? I wasn't surprised. I didn't know what they were going to be, but I wasn't surprised. Perhaps there was a number of things that you were surprised at that you didn't know might happen. I suggest that Foothill is poised and ready and willing to respond to what are we going to do now? I suggest that you are. Postured by faith, willing to risk a little more than you thought you were and perhaps a little more willing than you were before to bless others that you have been chosen for that purpose, to bless others, to take another step, to hold on to what you've got, and you've got a lot. Four or five more steps, who knows? But God knows those things, and he's willing to take a wine press thresher and to make him a stealth military leader.
what might he do with us? We don't know that yet, but I know that we're ready to respond. We're not Israel. We're not Gideon. But this story guides us. We're talking about identifying biblical stories that match the season that foothills in to help guide us in the days ahead. Nehemiah is one of those stories. The story of one that stepped out in risk and returned to Jerusalem from captivity and rebuilt the wall on the city of Jerusalem with a lot of teamwork, with a lot of oppression, with a lot of things, but because God was there. God's idea, God's plan, God's outcome. There's another story um, that's been suggested. It's in Isaiah 51. It says, look to the rock from which you were cut, to the quarry from which you were hewn. It goes back to the form in which God made us and all the good things that he put inside that form. These are the stories, the biblical stories that we begin to look to and say, that matches us and I see how God is working. That was my intent today, was just to share a story with you of God at work and see it intertwined with the place that we are right now. Ready to continue into a season of freshness and reliance upon God. Amen.